Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Having a Grand Time. For seniors who are adjusting to retirement and aging, May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. We are continuing on in our little series, Having a Grand Time. For those of you who are visiting with us the first time, I picked that just because many people in this class have the joy of being grandparents. And so I just kind of did a play on words with the word grand, because also the period of time that all the other things that come with about that period of time of life where you're a grandparent isn't normally considered very grand. It's uh, uh, some days better than others, but uh, um, it's not necessarily something we would associate with, with uh, joy and happiness. And so today, we're going to talk about the barrier of the hurdles. Last week, we, uh, we talked about the battle of the hats, and next week, we'll talk about the puzzle of the prison. Sounds like a Danny Kay movie, doesn't it? <laughs> and the final week, we'll talk about the power of the keys. Now, I want us to remember this quote that I gave you from Winston Churchill. I just want to keep saying it because I like it. And I think it, it captures the spirit of what we're looking for at this period in our lives. Winston Churchill said on my birthday, I had a birthday last week, and Wendy thought on Sunday, well, no, the birthdays are for the week before, so she didn't say anything last week. And this week, uh, I said, well, are you going to say something? She said, no, 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 it was, you missed it. <laughs> Wouldn't we like to be able to miss a birthday that easily? <laughs> Winston Churchill said, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour, the Battle of Britain. And uh, if we have received Jesus Christ into our hearts, if the blood of Christ is on the doorpost and lintel of our heart and our soul, then we will live much more than a thousand years. We'll live millions and millions of years. But may the angels and the Lord say, even in a thousand years, but that was their finest hour. This is the time when we're still not set free from a fallen world and a fallen human nature, and therefore we're still in a battle. In heaven, the battle will have been won, it will be over. There are no goals or touchdowns to be scored in heaven. It's a time of praise and worship and thanksgiving around the throne to the Lamb who was slain. But now we're still in the game, and now there's still the chance to win victories for Him. Before, there were tons of people cheering for us. Oh, you made 100 on this test. I'm so proud of you. And you graduated, and we're going to give you a present. In the period of time we're talking about, the grand time, uh, you might have a tremendous victory. One day, just picking your keys up off the floor. <laughs> and there's nobody cheering. I mean, you're happy with yourself. Other days have been worse. But... Uh, it's not the same. Nobody's going to give you a present, send you flowers. We heard you picked your keys up off the floor the other day. Uh, it's more and more of a private victory with you, but it's not just private because all of heaven is watching. 
And he said, now, without all these other crowds around to distract us, God is watching you and wanting this time also to be a time of inner victory, even when it looks like outside things are getting pretty tough. Now, we're, talk we're going to talk about hurdles today or barriers. We usually think of hurdles as something outside of ourselves, something that's happened to us, something that keeps us, that, that something that gets in our way that keeps us from getting where we want to go. That's what we think of a hurdle. I, I didn't have a hurdle to bring today, but you just have to bear with me. Uh, but in our Christian life, our main hurdles are not exterior, they're interior. It's not the sickness, it's not the loss of mobility, the memory loss, the hearing loss. It's not my, my bad knee or my bad back that are the true hurdles that we are facing in our lives. They're, they're obviously very uh, um, uncomfortable at times, painful at other times. We don't like them, but that's not our main problem uh, when we talk about the spiritual life and what it takes at this point in our life to instead of our spirit go down the hill to, go, to get even better. Jesus said in Mark 7, uh, why don't we turn to Mark 7? This is kind of the heart of uh, this concept. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking about the heart. And of course the Jews were really insistent on cleanliness, spiritual cleanliness. And you would eat certain foods, other foods you couldn't eat. You'd have to wash your hands a certain way. Cleanliness was a big deal. And Jesus says, starting in verse 18, he says, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? It cannot hinder him spiritually. Whatever comes in from the outside, a, a, a disease, a germ, a sickness, uh, a financial crisis, a problem with somebody hating you and deciding you're their enemy, that cannot defile you. It says, uh, verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed all of these evil things. Verse 23, All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Our true barriers, our true hurdles, is what comes out of our heart in response to what's going on in our lives. I like bringing something so you can see it. So I brought you something today. I bought this. We got any gardeners in here? Who, who can tell me what this is? What does Roundup do? All right, this is not for cows. This is, this is for weeds. Okay? And he says it's what comes out of your heart. The evil that comes out of your heart can defile you. Jesus, uh, the Old Testament says the heart is desperately sick, and my heart is evil uh, without the Lord. So I'd like to use the figure of speech, uh, if we're going to switch a little bit, because most of us aren't leaping over hurdles these days, uh, but many of us are into gardening, so I want to bring it down a little bit more where I I'm out trying to figure out what to do with these awful-looking pine straw beds around the... Uh, around our plants outside. I, you know, I, don't, I think they've got plastic underneath. Some of you are pros at this. And, but this stuff is turning into compost. It looks awful and, and weeds are sticking out. And so I bought this Roundup because this grass, you know, it doesn't grow where you want it to grow. And then it, and it gets into these places where it's not supposed to be. And I think, well, I'm going to get this Roundup stuff and I'm going to spray it on that grass 
so that we can uh, make things look better. And so what are the weeds in our heart? We want to look at a number of things that are our major hurdles or, or the weeds that might grow up at this point in our lives and see what we can do about it. The first one is looking back. Looking back. Now we've talked about this, so I'm not going to go into this greatly, but in Luke 17:32, Luke 17:32, Jesus is talking about the last days. That verse is a very, very short verse, and it says, Remember Lot's wife. That's the whole verse. Remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? They were supposed to be leaving, and she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And the same thing can happen to us when we already have half of a century behind us. There's a lot to look back at. There's a lot of memories. Your house is filled with photographs. You probably even got a growing collection of videos. And uh, you could take a pretty good while. I mean, some of you have some projects. I'm going to get my pictures organized. Uh, you know, how long has that been on your do list? And then, and then you, you think about it and think, I don't know, you know, there must be some way I can uh, um, leave this in my will to somebody else to do. <laughs> I heard a statement one time that really, really has stuck with me for years. He'd said, you can never step into the same river twice. Not only because the next time you try to step into it, it's already flowed by, but the next time you step into it, you're a different person. You're changing too. You can never step into the same river twice. Our life is like those rockets. Remember the Gemini rocket that went up and had those three stages? You know, that tiny little capsule with the two guys in it. Uh, the, yeah, the second stage was the middle, and that bottom one, the big, real big one, was the first stage. And that's what gets it up the first bit. Not really even all that far, it seems like. And, but, but it takes all that fuel to get it up that high. And then what happens to that big first part? They unhook it, and it falls back to earth. Now, what if they tried to haul that all the way up there? They said, well, we don't, we don't want to throw anything away. We're into recycling now. So we've, we've already shot all the fuel out of this first big thing, but we're just going to kind of bring it up here on the side and strap it on with a bungee cord, and then we're going to turn on the second, the second motor. Well, it's not going to make it. It's going to plummet back to earth. It doesn't have enough energy to haul up that other canister, and so they just let it fall back down into the ocean. And we go through different stages in our lives, and it's important once that stage is exhausted and its, and its energy is gone, that we just unhook it and let it fall down there in the ocean. God's going to pick it up. And we just keep going, not looking back. So the prescription I want to give on this one, on looking back, this kind of a weed that can get too strong, is to focus on today. And the, the verse I want to just remind you of on that is in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, uh, three or four times, he quotes an Old Testament passage. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, today. Five times he used the word today in those two chapters. Today, today. Today is the only day we have. But we've talked about that before, so we're going to move on. The second weed that we could have in our lives growing up is having the wrong goals. I'll see if I can explain this one. Having the wrong goals. I remember somebody in Argentina would always say, well, I have my health, and that's the main thing. And I always thought, well, that, that doesn't sound right, at least not for a Christian anyway. I have my health, but that's the main thing. Or I have all my children nearby, that's the main thing. 
Or in the hurricane, at least our house didn't get blown away. My car's running, that's the main thing. Well, my doctor's in and he, uh, you know, doesn't make me wait to, that's the main thing. What's the main thing? Somebody once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> keep your priorities. Well, what's our priority? The goal in our lives is not to have good health. It's not to have long life. Let's look at what the goal is in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Because if you have the wrong goal, you're going to be expending your energy at the wrong target. So it doesn't matter how good your aim is, you shot in the wrong direction. Whether you hit it or not, it wasn't the right direction. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul is writing, and he says, Therefore we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, what we're looking for, what we're pursuing, whether at home or absent, what's he talking about? Whether, whether or not we're at home in heaven, uh, or, or at home here, or, or absent from here and present with the Lord, whether in this life or in the next, we're going to have the same goal. It works all the time. It's not a temporary goal. This is an eternal goal. It's just as good here as it will be forever. We have as our ambition to be pleasing to Him. I am His penny, and He can spend me any way He wants. I am His penny, and He can spend me any way He wants. Now, what's the problem of having a goal of, of good health? You can't always get it. You don't want to set as a goal something that you have almost no control over. Why? Because you're going to be frustrated, grumpy. Some days you can kind of do it, but so many times you can't. You want to have a goal that theoretically you could always fulfill. That'll keep you sweeter, nicer, and more active. If your goal is something that it, it's in God's hands and in, uh, it's out of your hands, then you're looking at others. You're looking at God. God, why are you allowing this? This was not the goal I had for my life. And I've been telling you what you should do and you're not responding. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So the prescription we have on this one, on this for this weed, this is what we're going to squirt on this weed, is to focus on pleasing Him. Ephesians 5 talks about trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do you know what pleases the Lord in any given situation? When you're in that situation, if you ask yourself the question, well, let's see, my goal is to be pleasing to Him. I wonder what He would like me to be doing at this moment. What would He want me to be thinking right now? What would he want me to be saying right now? How could I please him? How could I please him? Every one of these points we could get into a whole lot more, but we want to get our, our overview, so I'm just going to move on. The third point is, the third weed, is bitterness. Bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews is that wonderful chapter on the discipline of the Lord. 
And in chapter 12 he says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Bitterness. Others have failed you. It might be your children. It might be your spouse. It might be your parents. It might be all of them. There are certain things that perhaps your country did that failed you. Your neighbors, your aunts, your uncles, your friends. Perhaps you feel like you had a Judas experience, somebody that, that you ate bread with them, you, as the Bible says, and they lifted up their heel against you. And maybe it was many, many years ago. Maybe it was when you were a child. And yet you have that thing so present, it takes very little for that to come up again, almost as strong as back when it happened. Bitterness is anger that's gone to seed. At the moment, it just made you angry or really had a strong impact on you. But then it stays and it lingers and it lingers and it lingers and it goes like from apple juice to apple vinegar. Bitterness is anger gone to seed. And this is so dangerous for your spiritual life. It is so dangerous. Why? With bitterness, uh, there's a, an inner desire for revenge or at least for justice or at least that everyone else would know and understand that I'm the aggrieved party. But that can be like a ball and chain that pulls you down, that sours you, that opens you up to the influence of the enemy and will keep you from having this time of victory that we're talking about right now. So the prescription here is a focus on forgiving. The the further down we get in our lives, the stronger we have to become in forgiving because there's more to forgive. We understand more now what others should have done for us and they haven't done for us. And our tendency is to keep a list of that. And when that person's name comes up, on the screen comes up all of their offenses against us and that affects, affects our whole spirit. Not only how we treat them, it affects our prayers. It affects our relationship to everybody. Jesus made very clear, you know, we were talking about trying to learn what is pleasing to him. This is one thing that's very pleasing to him. Okay, that's our goal now, right? He said, you must forgive everyone for everything they have done against you. Have you done that? Because if you refuse to do that, if you say, well, I, I forgive these other things, but that I will never forgive, you will suffer the rest of your life with that. You are only hurting yourself. You're adding insult to injury. You're taking something that was already bad. We're not saying it wasn't bad. And you're making it worse. You're seeing a grease fire on your stove, and you're grabbing a bucket of gasoline and throwing it on it to put it out. And it makes it worse. Lack of forgiveness can destroy you and sour the stream of the life of God that he wants to have flowing through you. Forgiveness is like a muscle. It's got to be practiced. You say, well, I, uh, okay, Henry, I'm willing to forgive, but I can't. They hurt me so deep. It was so wrong. So many others were hurt. I, I can't get over this. I'm not telling you you've got to get over it. I'm saying that you've got to respond in obedience to the Scripture by an act of your will and saying, apart from my feelings... By an act of my will, 
I release them into the hand of God. And I pronounce, I forgive you, even though I don't feel it, even though I can't forget it. I, in the presence of God in my prayers, every day if necessary, if, it, if it's something that strong, say, I forgive this person for doing that. I forgive them for this. It says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth, you will be saved. I'm talking about salvation. But in the same way that you are convinced in your heart, this is the will of God for me, and now I declare forgiveness over this person. Think about Joseph. Joseph, his, his brothers had sold him. They'd gotten money off the deal. And he'd had an awful life up until when things turned out for better, but uh, he didn't know that was going to happen. And he didn't become bitter. And then when he had the chance to get revenge on them and show them what it felt like, throw them into jail, threaten them with capital punishment, just so they would know how it felt, he fed them at a feast, and he said, God was behind it all. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You sold me, God sent me. Now maybe you're not going to have it all clear why God, you know, God will not necessarily answer all of our questions. Yeah, but what, what possible good could have come from that? Maybe nothing. We live in a fallen world, but the will of God for you and for me is that we forgive everyone for every offense against us. And if we don't, we deeply, deeply hurt ourselves and our ability to follow him in victory at this point in our lives. Fourth weed is guilt. Guilt, undealt with. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and they have hidden, they have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. With bitterness, we were dealing with the ways others have failed us. But we have all lived long enough to where we have also failed others. We have failed ourselves. We have failed God. We have failed our loved ones. We have failed our country. Not all the time. We could have been much worse. We're very glad and grateful to God that we didn't do all the awful things that occurred to us in our hearts and minds over the years. We could have been much worse, but we were also not as good as we thought we were going to be. We were not as noble. We were not as kind. We've said some terrible things. We thought worse things. There's a lot of good things we should have done we didn't do. We try not to think about it. But there's sometimes when there's something or a couple of things, big things, way back there, nobody else knows about it, but we drag it around like a ball and chain. We, whenever that, the thought comes to our mind, it's, it's like that, that wound that won't heal. And so I can't believe I did that. I still feel bad about that. Can God ever forgive me? You've asked God to forgive you so many times. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. You know, theoretically, he has because he promised to, but you don't feel forgiven. You still maybe feel a little bit dirty. You feel like, well, if anybody else knew this about me, they, they would really be disappointed in me too. They'd think that awful person. Here, I thought this was a nice person. Look at this thing that they've done. Guilt is like, can also be like a ball and chain. And I want to talk very specifically about this particular kind of guilt that even though you've asked God's forgiveness according to the Scripture, you don't feel free. You don't feel 
forgiven. You still feel like, but I still feel like something's wrong. Now, part of that is that you can't forgive yourself. That you can't forgive yourself. God's willing to forgive you. Jesus Christ died for you. And he says, okay. And he says, well, I'm not going to let myself off that easy. Uh, we got to beat this thing a little bit more, make it hurt. I want to tell you what I believe the scriptural answer for that is. Now, you might have another opinion. I'm giving my opinion now, okay? The two main verses on confession of sin is 1 John 1, 9, which many of you probably know by heart, at least if I start to quote it. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing. But we've done the first part with this particular sin, and we don't feel forgiven, and we don't feel cleansed. So I'm going to give you the second verse on confession, which is James 5.16. James 5.16. But James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Not forgiven. Healed. And some of you today probably need a healing in your life, in your heart, in your soul. And what I am suggesting is not that you go publish it in the state newspaper. I mean, David did that. He sinned with Bathsheba. And in the one book that's been the bestseller up throughout all humanity, in the smack dab in the middle of it, he puts Psalm 51, which is his confession of his horrible crime against God. I'm not saying we need to do that. Fortunately, the canon is closed, so we don't have to worry about it being in the Bible, at least. But I am saying that perhaps one thing you should consider doing, if you can identify with what I've been saying about that, feeling like something's just weighing you down, you can't get free of it, is to talk to a spiritual leader, talk to a pastor, or if you're a lady, to talk to, some, to one of the women leaders. Pray, God, ask God to show you which person. Particularly if it's, it's something that is a bigger sin, you want to have that be just in a, a very private moment where you share that. I had a... a um, Someone in our church in Argentina. I don't know what her age was, but uh, I just guess 75. And there'd been something that had been bothering her for years. And finally, we just sat down, we talked about it, prayed, and that was it. It was like, broke it. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The fifth one is a weed barrier is the weed of self-pity. Self-pity. My friend, who's the same age as I, he can still run a mile. My knee is so bad, I can't even hardly walk to the end of the block. My sister, all her children live in the same city. And they just treat her like a queen. And my kids, they don't seem to care. Comparing. And thinking, oh, I always come out with the short end. I get in this line, in the grocery store, and all the other lines, zoom. I think, oh, you stupid. So I go to the other one. And then the person checked, I don't know, why me? Then it develops a little further, and it, and it affects the way you talk. Oh, don't worry about me. <laughs> We'll be all alone for Thanksgiving, but that's okay. It masquerades as humility. Poor me. Oh, but that's okay. 
You always loved her more than you did me anyway. I'm trying to get over it. There is a tendency in our lives, all of our lives, but it really affects us as the storm clouds gather. Physically, it could be financially, a lot of different things it could be. But as those storm clouds gather, there's a tendency to turn inward. And that more and more my life is focused on where it hurts in me. Now you think about Jesus on the cross. We could develop that a little bit more. The seven last words of Jesus on the cross wasn't, boy, this hand hurts, and my foot is killing me, and did you see what they did to my back? And this crown of thorns, it might not look like much, but it's really hurting. And, and his first word, couldn't even stretch out his hand. Father, forgive them. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your... He had not turned inward. He was still thinking about the other people. I really want someday, one of my ambitions, is someday when I'm in bed in a hospital with tubes coming out of me and in intense pain, one of the goals I have and one of the victories I want to see in my own life is when that little nurse comes in with a worried look on her face, I'll be able to say, you've got a burden, don't you? Would you like me to pray for you? That's one of my ambitions. I don't want to be overcome with self-pity where I can no longer think of others. A nice poem I like is, How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The moon, the fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December is as pleasant as May. Isn't that a good one? The prescription for self-pity, uh, the verse is Philippians 4.11, where he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in every situation. He learned it. Paul learned how to be content. It's not something that comes natural. Complaining comes natural. Contentment doesn't. You've got to learn it. It's a muscle. I will be content with what God has given me. And the things we need to practice, our prescription for self-pity, is gratitude and serving. Gratitude and serving. But gratitude focuses on all the things that you do have. Yes, your son and the other daughter aren't nearby, but your cousin is. Well, Lord, thank you for that cousin. I'd really be alone without them. Focus on what God has given you. This hand is killing. Well, Lord, this hand still works. I am so grateful for this hand. Think of all these muscles I can move. My back hurts, but my eyes, I can still open them. I can see color. I can hear music. I can speak. I can sing. I can pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get detailed in our thanksgiving and in our gratitude. Yeah, I know I've got all this stuff, but I don't have this. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Finally, the sixth one, which we can't develop much, is just, I just entitled it Other Weeds. For example, fear, anxiety, loneliness, fear of things that might happen. Uh, sometimes it's just a fear 
because of a reduced ability to see or to move that you might go out and have a serious accident. We were having Christmas lunch and just them helping my grandmother out of the car this years ago. She fell, broke her hip, and that was the beginning, the end of, end of it all. It was Christmas lunch. You know, so if, if you're the same age and seeing that happen to somebody close to you, you think, oh, I better watch out. Well, how can you watch out? I mean, it can happen any time. Another friend of mine was just walking down the short, very short hall of her house. It was that short, and she just slipped on the little rug, and she was in bed for a year with cracked ribs and a, I mean, and you could spend all your time being anxious about that and fearful that that might happen. And the issue of loneliness. The issue of loneliness. There's an out, outer loneliness, just as there are fewer and fewer people that you felt congenial with. They're either because of distance or sickness or other things. They're not there anymore. And yeah, there's some new faces, but you can't even remember what their name was, and, and they don't seem to care about you. And Well, you know you should care about them, but you don't care that much about them. You just feel lonely. Now, these... All of these kind of things are more subjective. So I'm not going to give something that would imply that very easily you can get over loneliness or, or get over being afraid or get over being anxious. That's something that we have, in different ways, struggled with all our lives. And we really, really need the grace of God. And sometimes we're just going to go through times that are hard. But Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I used to go out on evangelism at Georgia Tech with the navigators. And I am such a coward. We would go into the dormitory and we'd knock on doors and say, well, would you like to talk to, talk to would, you, would you like to talk about Jesus Christ? You know, I, I, that's what would happen. See, I can't even tell you. <laughs> but I had a certain period of time where I had the boldness of a lion. Because it, when I first started going out, we, we got in pairs. And when I first started, they would put me with another guy. This guy was an ex-Marine. He looked like a bouncer from a bar. Beard, kind of had his hair long. He looked bad. And, I, and he would take all the initiative, and I knew he could handle any problem. So I would just go very confidently, you know. You got a problem? You take it out with him. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't anxious. I wasn't lonely. Why? It's because of who was with me. Now, what if he'd have been invisible and I wasn't sure he was there? Are you there? <laughs> uh, can we do this? Are you going to back me up? I would have been fearful, anxious, and lonely. What's the difference? Is he there? with me or not. Now, he has made a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. He was forsaken on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that I would never be forsaken. And I must learn to believe that and make that mine. In conclusion, what do all these things have in common? Looking back, wrong goals, bitterness, guilty, self-pity, and these other things. What do they all have in common? 
they all have a me focus. Me. That my life is me. I'm the most important person in the universe. Why won't anybody pay me attention, give me the honor I deserve, help me when I need it, attend to me when I'm there in the, in the waiting room or whatever. How about me? Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. Now, this period of time in our life that other people call the second half of life, which for many people, since uh, everybody's living so long these days, it's qu quite a long period of time that other people would say, well, you're retired, which you used to think was going to be a good deal. You know, you get all these discounts and, you know, stuff like that. But now it's like, well, it's not that great. <laughs> if I could do what I used to be able to do, then it would be great. It would be like a big vacation. But many people think that retirement is now you just rest on your laurels, lean back in your easy chair, turn up the flame on the fire or turn up the air conditioner or whatever, and just coast. And I don't believe that that's what God has for you and me at that period of our lives. I believe that God is reducing us, because I go through it too. I got flat feet, bad back, and I can give you my list of things. And I'm less, much less physically than I ever was, not that I was ever much. I, you know, they didn't want me on the football team, and I, I, uh, I wasn't great at basketball either. I'll tell you about that another time. I was never much, but I'm a whole lot less than I was. But I believe that God has a purpose in allowing this reduction of physical strength and physical capabilities because he is very ambitious for your inner life and my inner life. And what he could do in your inner life through your strength, your times of strength, he's already done. He says, now I want to take you through a different kind of a period of time because there's a whole new set of things we can learn if you'll pay attention, if you'll not look back, if you'll not have the wrong goal, if you'll not get sucked up with bitterness or guilt, if you'll deal with that self-pity and learn to praise me, he says, we're going to see wonders. We're going to see things that you've never seen before. Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I'll close with this quote by Dog Hammarskjöld, the, um, he was a Secretary General of the United Nations. Maybe some of you remember his name. And he said, he who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't reserve a plot for weeds. He who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't reserve a plot for weeds. And these are some weeds, some barriers that we want to trust God to help us to do better with. Last week, we talked about the Battle of the Hats. This week, the Barrier of the Hurdles. Next week, my favorite, the Puzzle of the Prison. And finally, the Power of the Keys. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, there is no one like you. You never looked back. You always had the right goal to please the Father. You were never bitter. You were forgiving of your enemies. You had nothing to feel guilty for. You had no self-pity. Lord, you did the will of the Father. You finished with a shout of triumph. It is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And Lord, we want to have a triumphant and victorious mindset in this day that we are living. 
We want to surrender our lives even more to you. We want to attain heights spiritually that we never thought possible before. You've got our attention now, Lord. We have more time than we used to have. We have less abilities in certain areas, and that's to make room for a greater growth in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, so that we could continue becoming the people that you're longing to see us be. We want to live for heaven's applause. We know you're watching us. There's the cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And we want to do well. We want to have those inner victories, Lord, that even maybe no one else sees, but you see and you love. And they honor you. So we give you the praise, we give you the thanks that you've given us this moment to share together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.